Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? Or being able to take control of more than just the wheel? Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, she was accused of murdering her two children and sent to a psychiatric hospital. If prosecutors can't prove a Maryland mother who killed her kids in 2014 is no longer insane, the charges will be dropped. Is she faking it? We'll discuss the podcast, Unrestorable. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us. You you have like the whole day to do something and it's like, oh yeah, proofread the script. Oh. And I forgot to, yeah. Are you saying that how I just like read those two lines that I was supposed yeah, to read? I, you, people they, will never know because not, they've been they removed. They didn't hear that part. I know, but I'm just saying. Why are you pointing out your own mistake when they didn't hear it? Because I take... <laughs> also with us is private investigator. This is why there's so many memes about you, Kevin. I don't give a fuck. No, you don't give I'll just, a fuck. I'll just call the vampire Mike. I don't care. <laughs> You're like a chivalrous dude who cares about his wife and you give zero fucks. That's like who you are. Oh, so also sexy. with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. <laughs> All right. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right, Kevin. Mm-hmm. My hero. Yes. <laughs> my lobster, as someone called you on Reddit. <sighs> uh, what is coming up on next Monday's podcast since we are obviously recording Thursday's not, show right it's now? It's not obvious at all. It shouldn't be it's obvious. It's obvious to me. You know it's why? obvious to you. Why? Because I'm reading on the script right now that this is show B, which is yeah. the Thursday show. Yeah. Yes. So what's coming up on Monday's show? Yes. It's called The Kids of Rutherford County. It's a new podcast from Serial Podcasts. All right. So we had that to look forward to. So we have a podcast to review tonight. I think we should tonight? get to it. Is yes. it tonight? Today. Is it Thursday? Is it obvious? <laughs> it's Thursday. None of these things. Listen, the space time continuum, daylight saving time, which by the way is how you say it, not daylight savings. Uh, it's daylight saving time, which means that when we get up, it's bright and sunny. And by one o'clock in the afternoon, 
You want to roll up in a cocoon of blankets. I don't feel like it saved any daylight. <laughs> it's just, just darker. I like it. I like it. It makes me feel like I live in Alaska. All right. Should we just talk about this podcast and just get to it? Yeah. All right. I think that we should go there. Let's do the business that we do. What do you think, Toby? Should we do that? He didn't really chimed in yet. What, to our business? Yes. Yeah. Like those kids at Disney? Mm, let's do it. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to it. Let's drop that first clip right now. This is a grim one. I feel like that was a terrible transition. Let's do it anyway. Leading off. I mean, maybe you didn't want to go there in your mind that she had done something with the children, but there was a reason why she wasn't supposed to be alone with them, right? Right. And it wasn't that anyone actually at that point believed that she would physically purposely hurt them. It was more of the decision-making stuff. In 2014, Catherine Hoggle returned home without her three-year-old and two-year-old children. Though their bodies have never been recovered, Hoggle was placed in a psychiatric facility to treat her mental illness and restore her competency for trial. It was obvious to me, without disclosing anything confidential, that there were uh, profound mental health issues for Catherine, um, clearly and profoundly not well. But Maryland law states if a defendant is still deemed incompetent after five years, their charges will be dropped. With the deadline approaching, both prosecutors and the children's father accuse Hoggle of faking it, trying to run out the clock and avoid prison. This is the story of two kids whose definitive fates are unknown and a mother who has been found not competent to stand trial for their murders. But it's also the story of unintended consequences, about a legal system that was set up to protect people, but actually raises questions about public safety. In the new podcast, Unrestorable, journalists Sarah Trelevin and Beth Karras examine the balance between a father's quest for justice and the rights of people with mental illness in the justice system. Meanwhile, one key question that overshadows this case, can you really fake being incompetent and get away with murder? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Unrestorable. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Laura, I have to say, when I was listening to this podcast, I was very worried that I would be alone in my basically overall like feelings of discomfort about the show and your very first note addresses the core of my feelings because it is incredibly hard to not feel tremendously for the family affected by the crime at the center of this right or the alleged crime at the center of this of course because we don't actually know what happened to these children however there is definitely a point of view in this podcast, right? Right. So I definitely going into this and I, I was really interested in listening to this podcast. You know, I work in the criminal justice system, was very curious about this particular issue. I've kind of went into this thinking, oh, this is going to be really interesting. They're going to examine this issue. And right away, you know, you, you can't help but not feel sympathy for Troy, the father who doesn't know what happened to the two children. But right off the bat, there was just something about the tone with this podcast that made me feel like this is really very one-sided and it is very much slanted against those who are living with mental illness. And it was all from the perspective of Troy. And I totally understand what he's going through. But I felt like even the tone of the narration and everything like insinuated that there was some master plan at work here for this woman to 
be faking her mental illness. But it was like right off the bat. It just it rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I couldn't really put my finger on it at first. And then the more it went on, I was like, oh, because we're only hearing one side of this. And it's almost like we don't even believe there's another possibility of something that's going on here. I mean, it very much is from Troy's point of view. And Toby, you had a similar note, and I'd like to give you the chance to expand on that. I feel like even though we can have Catherine's point of view, obviously, there are ample opportunities to fill in many things. And the podcast, I think, does try and on some level, especially when the, when the legal episodes, just to sort of, you know, bring in certain experts to talk about it. Troy's narrative of what it was like being married to Catherine, what she was like as a person, what happened that day, how, you know, sort of all things sort of have fallen in before, after and since. Troy's narrative is the spine of the podcast. And of course, we don't have any concrete reason to not be like, oh, that's 100 percent definitely what happened. Like, how did you feel about that, Toby, when you were listening to this? Well, it's interesting because there's a combination of a lot of the stuff that he talks about is actually making the case against him. From his viewpoint, the stories that he tells make it sound like she is extremely mentally ill. Catherine also became increasingly paranoid. She kept insisting she was being followed. At one point, she asked Troy to buy a staple gun and shoot her with it. Troy couldn't ignore things anymore. I'm like, hold on, there's been a progression here. Like, this isn't the same as it was when she was pregnant with my first child. This has gotten worse. I have a question for you. Yeah. Did that sometimes sound like she might, and I I don't want to speculate at all. I sometimes was wondering, like, is there something to be explored there, but a potential like a opioid addiction or some sort of other issue here where she like needs money and she's in the middle of nowhere and there's like no other possibilities at all being explored here around that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's weird that it's just, it's dropped. Yeah. Yeah. And there's clearly something going on and, and it, if it doesn't speak to mental illness, it speaks to something that will probably exacerbate mental illness. Right. So you've got that, but you've also got Troy and it's, it, you know, it, it is understandable, is angry. He just seems like he gets the first and last word on just about everything, including like her parents, like who's the biggest enabler and they're just coming up with some bullshit. And it seems like the facts that he divulges point in a different direction from the emotion that he shows and what his desired outcome is. So in the end... Like, I kind of feel as though if you read a transcript, you'd probably get a different sense of how this all was going. But, you know, I found myself like completely disagreeing with him and thinking she's completely mentally ill. And whether she thinks there's some advantage to it or not, I don't know. But there's nothing about her background that makes it seem more likely that she's pretending than that she really is. It is hard, like, when you don't have, like, that person there, like, Catherine in particular here, and it's not overly represented in in the story. I'm not 100% sure how you cure that. Uh, some podcasts, like, that doesn't seem to be a problem. You know, you try to cover it with family and attorneys and experts and things like that. But it sounds like what we're saying here is that Troy is supposed to be the emotional center of this story, like, we often have somebody who is. But we are having trouble, and by we, I guess we're saying the people here are having a trouble making an emotional connection to him because of his demeanor. That's not it for me. Not it for you? Okay. No. That's not it for me. I think it's that we need another side. Like, we need another perspective sounding uh, I in. would agree. I, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree. And I think I'm more interested in the idea about, 
I mean, I, I have sympathy for young Catherine here. I, you know, the question really is divided into was she insane at the time of the kid's disappearance? Legally insane. Legally insane. Yeah. And how is she today? And I like for, you know, past Catherine there. I mean, I, to me, it was very obvious. And it was, I think it was obvious to everybody else, too, that she was she was in trouble. I think everybody did everything right the way they were supposed to, you know, try to get her treatment and have her committed and then, you know, have sort of a plan when she came home and that kind of thing. You know, and they also pointed out that even with her bipolar symptoms in her youth, put on top of that, that she was pregnant, like she had a two and a three and a five year old. So there's all those uh, postpartum difficulties. Like, you know, if you're depressed, you're um, somebody who's at risk of postpartum depression. If you have a psychosis, you're at high risk for a postpartum psychosis, right? Being pregnant and having uh, going through a postpartum period doesn't cure existing mental illnesses. It often makes them worse. And so I do feel very badly for her and that she needs treatment. But there is a larger question about is she malingering and is the system set up the right way? And I think like both things can be true. I think you can recognize that this was a very disturbed woman who very likely killed her two youngest children. But today is in a position where she should be able to stand trial. This is okay. So Mm -hmm. we'll talk about this more in a couple minutes. But this is like an interesting thing to me. And this is what points the deficiency of the podcast, right? We hear later in a detail that they drop this very quick little passage without. And this is like another a weakness of the podcast. The signposting and the timelines and the the TikTok of what happened. The only real TikTok we get is when Troy talks about that day driving from place to place. Right. Other yeah. TikTok stuff is so unclear. Like he talks about her running away. Like, where did she go? When was she caught? Like, what happened then? What happened? And then you just get like these vague inferences to police looking and that, but you don't really hear a lot. Later in the podcast, there's this dropped detail that the morning earlier that day, when the kids were, quote, supposed to be at daycare, she was in a treatment situation. So ostensibly like in a day therapy situation and made a offhanded joke or comment about strangling her kids, right? So that day, ostensibly, before all this went on, she's already in a day treatment situation being treated for something, right? Mm -hmm. Does that not point to the fact that we're already talking about somebody who has to go to a day treatment program for psychiatric issues? So if we are to try somebody today for a thing they did, who are we trying? Like if this person is restored, are we trying the same person? That's the deficiency with this podcast is that Laura, I mean, don't you feel like just the deficiency of just like the timelines and the TikToks and the sort of understanding what happened where and who was where when would really help in sort of understanding the unfolding of the story a little bit better? In terms of where the different people were, like from a police perspective? Yes, like the police investigation and what happened that day. And then like, yes, yeah. and who Catherine was before. And right. who, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, and we have like Troy's version and he does like his root talk and we have we kind of go through where they were going. But I guess for me, I I recognize that HIPAA makes it hard to talk to some of the mental health professionals in this case. But I would like to hear from the police. I would like to know, like, what do they think happened? Like, I would like to know a little bit more about the investigation, the ongoing investigation. That, to me, was something that I felt like could have bolstered up so that we did have something other than just Roy in there. And and I like what you were saying before, Rebecca, about going to this day program, like it's clear early on that the whole family recognized that she had a mental illness, that she should not be alone with the children. And they tried to get her help. 
you see that, I mean, it was like one of the things as they're describing that, you can see the setup to the story. Like, you know where this is going to go. Like, I'm like, oh, the kids are going to go missing. But then part of what I was having a hard time sort of rectifying is we have that recognition. But then now we're like, no, but now we think she's faking. And I'm like, right. but clearly y'all recognized that something pretty serious was going on. But like she was to the point that she couldn't be alone with the kids, this and that. But now we're like, no, she's faking. So I feel like there, there's a disconnect in that part of the storyline for me. I feel like at the end, and there's another episode that we haven't listened to, I guess. But at the end, they do talk to that cop who reveals some information. Like when we found her, she had dirt under her fingernails. Found her where? You're right. <laughs> we never hear how she was The found. implication being that she, she was probably in the woods burying the kids. So it seems to me when I was sort of trying to sort of wrestle with that myself is that there's this very concrete stuff that happened before the kids disappeared that show that they were concerned about her right? Her mental health, especially around the kids. And, and, and Laura mentioned it, you know, she, she's going to the state program. They won't leave her alone with the kids. Like there's always got to be either her parents or Troy has got to be around when she has the kids. And then afterwards, when they're trying to establish that she is competent, the stuff that they come up with is so weak, in my opinion, it's things like, well, she had this diagram that showed that if she's competent, she goes to prison. And if she's not competent, she goes home. So, you know, they basically drew it out for her. And then at one point, I think it's one of the prosecutors says something about how her attorney told her to refuse to answer questions. So she goes ahead and does it. And the prosecutor's like, well, I think that shows that she's able to work with her attorneys. It's like, I don't think that's really what that shows. I think that yeah. shows that somebody gives her a very simple command, which is don't talk about this. She can do it. Working with your attorneys is a lot more involved than that. And it's like aiding in your defense and stuff. So I, I just kind of felt like there's a lot of evidence at the beginning that Troy provides. And then later, when they're trying to prove that she's not incompetent, they're really sort of grasping at straws to, to show it. And part of it is they're not around her very much, but part of it also is it doesn't seem like there's anything very profound that they can point to, to say, yeah, see, she's faking. Yeah. If you want something profound, you have to listen to our podcasts on Patreon. Kevin, so what a smooth transition. Toby made a face like, I can't believe I just walked into that myself. That's true. That's true. And Kevin, I was like, how are we going to sensitively go into the business <laughs> section? I have to say, I, Kevin, Toby will lead me there. You just directly went into it. No trying to make. Yeah, it was very good. Very, very sensitive. Very I was good. worried you were going to be like, you'd have to be crazy not to. <laughs> Yes. Way to ruin it, Toby. Yeah. yeah all right. Sorry. That's Toby Ball. All right. Yeah. Toby, Toby Ball Nice H. job. He'll be here all night, folks. Don't forget to at him. Yes. Have the veal. But in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, we urge you to join us on uh, Patreon. Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Media. I was uh, doing the math in my head, or back of the envelope, let's say. You, fair listener, if you have listened to every episode of Crime Writers On. Yes. Uh, over the years, yes, and then your pre you know your presence in the audience and the advertisers want, so we get paid by you know x amount of thousands of listens and whatever few. I'd say that you personally have helped us earn about sixty dollars. <laughs> each each individual person, thank right? you, because if you've heard enough, right? 
60 I mean that's how much money do you think you personally have earned a uh, a television station where you know if you break it down you've earned a television station a lot more money you earned yes <laughs> you didn't have to give any money but you helped us earn your weight right now is $60 if you listen to this 2014 yeah. Yeah. What is it? Why, am I doing new math or old math? No, here? I'm just, just curious. Okay, yeah. I, 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 if your calculations are correct, I mean, if they listen to like how many years of content would that be if they listen to every episode since 2014? It's like thousands of hours of content, right? Yes. Wow. Good on yes. you guys. Yes. So we thank you for listening. That's why they say, oh, you want listeners, like, you want you clicks. a million dollars. That's because we throw you all in a big pile and all this time, you personally, $60, but you didn't open your wallet for that $60. No. Your presence got it. But, you know, if you would like to help keep us going on, yes. you, you could open, open that them. wallet yes. and support us at the 5 6 $15 level. Yes. On Patreon, patreon.com slash partners in crime media, what you will get is exclusive access to content like the Crime Writers on After Show, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, our uh, Married with podcast, uh, which we give advice. Somebody asked questions about what do you do about your will and estate for your stepkids? I love and that question. And what if one of them is an ingrate? Love that question. For the divided... Four ways, or do you go 30, 30, 30, 10? I loved that question. Fucking King Lear here. And uh, you also <laughs> can listen to Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby's latest book is coming out. It's called The Man Who Invented Motion Pictures. Pictures. And this is actually a crime story, Toby. Yeah, sort of. Uh, it's certainly marketed as a crime story. There's a hell of oh, a no. lot about the... Uh, <laughs> about uh, sort of the development of uh, movies and how hard it was and the technical stuff and all the different people who are doing it, including Thomas Edison, who does not shown off in a very good light. But yeah, there is a is he the I, killer. Well, some people he think so. I don't think they think he necessarily did it, but might have had people do it for him. Ooh. Yes, because the guy, the guy who invented motion pictures, disappeared before he could introduce his. You know, invention to the world he up and vanished. Um, yeah, so it's 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 definitely an interesting book. It's not quite as hardcore crimey as most of our things are. Hmm. Also, we have in Partners in Crime Land uh, yesterday dropped the latest episode of These Other Stories, the Law and Order podcast. On that episode, we talked about a classic SVU episode called Heightened Emotions. This is the one where the victim is also a sex worker and also the world record pole vaulter. I'm a tabloid headline. This is the pole vault hooker. We're going to find a way out of this. No, we won't. There's no coming back from something like this. Lastly, we uh, encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. That's absolutely free. You go to crimewriterson.com. It's right at the top. Put your email address in there, and uh, we'll send you every week a free newsletter that has everything, including summaries of our reviews, Crime Writers on, Behind the Scenes, Merch of the Week, Pet of the Week, Crime of the Week, yes, Post of the Week, all sorts of great stuff. One more plug for our Patreon. Yeah. I might send you a personal email, and randomly... Maybe you'll get some bespoke merch in the mail. You never know. Never know. Some people have gotten bespoke merch in the mail for me in the last couple of weeks, and they've been like, what is this for? And I'm like, I like you. You've been around for a while. You never know. Never know. You never know. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any? Wait for it. Oh, another benefit. You could become Patreon patron saint of the week. Do we have any of those, Kevin? Our Patreon patron saints of the week are Melinda Jakobovitz. And Allison Miller. Oh! Bless you. Can I say something about Melinda? Yeah. Melinda, I hope your car is okay. 
Ah, yeah, there's all I got to say. And I hope that you get a bear and a wrestler with your Patreon subscription. All I'm going to say about that. I don't know what that is. She's a John Irving fan. That's the thing I happen to know about Melinda. Okay. All right, Kevin, is that in the business section? Yeah, those ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? Or being able to take control of more than just the wheel? Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. So, Kevin, one of the things that's interesting to me is that we're asking a judge here, right, mm-hmm. to make this decision. And I just want to say real quick, from my own point of view, that we have a woman here who's going to be institutionalized. She's already been institutionalized for years. And it's very likely that even if the judge doesn't go Troy's way, that she could be institutionalized for the rest of her life, which, in my opinion, is a better place for her than the other kind of institution that that Troy would prefer she be in. That's just my opinion. Okay. That being well, let me said, let me just correct you on one thing here. Yes. This isn't Troy suing her. Correct. Right? We keep putting it off of like, it's like Troy, like it's a civil suit. I agree. It's the, it's the state of Maryland. Correct. Wants to bring a criminal but prosecution. But the podcast is putting yeah. it like it's Troy's preference. So that's why I'm putting it on. on that's well, why, it's obviously that's Troy's I preference. I putting but, it on Troy. Okay, yeah, yeah. But we are asking a judge to make this decision. And the judge was given a list of questions by the prosecution side that they would prefer he ask her, right? Yeah. So what do you think about a judge being asked to make this call? See, it's tricky because... The judge is the only one that has the authority in the courtroom to make this determination. However, the judge really isn't a medical expert. So in normally, judges like this defer to the, the medical experts on this. And there is a, you know, a, a mixed uh, recommendation here. I mean, obviously, the people that are currently treating Catherine say that she is still incompetent or unable to help in her own defense. But I thought that the whole questioning aspect of that was really interesting. I, I really thought that she was about to get railroaded because it seemed like these were very simple questions. And I'm like, if he's going to determine that she's completely sane based on this little bit here, I'm like... Uh, like, do you know what attorney-client privilege is and that's it? Yeah, I was like, no, because the she has the presumption of innocence and she's coming in already sort of the idea that... She is incompetent. It's not about proving that she's incompetent. It's about proving that she's no longer incompetent, right? That she has been restored. So I thought, like, just to take that a little bit amount of time and then, like, make a big decision, sort of reversing course, I thought, oh my God, that's, it should be a little deeper than that. And by the time it came up, like, where are we going to be 
by that time, as a listener, I'm like, no, I think she's faking it. Yeah. I think she's malingering. I do think that you there are- You thought that? Yeah, I got there. Yeah, yeah. You did? I do that. Yeah, I believe that she- Why? Well, I'm thinking about the cases, the murder cases that I've covered where people were found to be insane, and the ones that I felt were truly insane from a legal medical aspect, and like the woman I'm thinking of- like just could not function in society. I'm not talking. Sheila Labar is the case of somebody that I think kind of you know has a personality disorder, but not insane. I'm thinking of a woman by the name of Ada Geigel who killed her son, and just like is still in the secure psychiatric facility, and just is like somebody who would not you could put them out in the you know in the world and would not be able to function in a way they will never be able to do that without intensive care. And I just don't get the sense that she is the person who has deteriorated and has not been able, I'm not a doctor, I'm I'm not in the room, that's just my my gut feeling is that she 100% was having difficulties and 100% killed her kids, and today I don't know, but I don't feel like the treatment has been unsuccessful. I have that feeling, you know, some of the doctors are... So I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you feel like a, this is like, I'm sorry, I put you on the spot here. Do you feel like, this is an Andrea Yates style question, right? Andrea Uh, Yates who drowned her kids and the five kids in the bathtub. She was very, very ill when she did that. If somebody is is a different person than they are when they were very ill, are you prosecuting the same person? Well, you're asking that question then about the entire justice system. Well, that's the question, The entire justice. Well, but this is different because in Maryland, they have a specific statute that says they can't do it this time. You got to throw the whole thing out of bed. And a lot of places are like, no, we're just putting this on hold until you can. I don't not love the Maryland system. I personally don't not love it. I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad um, Laura, what do you think? Because we're not talking about somebody who's likely to be walking around in 40. Well, that's and that's kind of my point here is that they've gotten her stabilized to a point through whatever therapy medications she is on. But I guess I'm looking at it like if she was out, I can't imagine that she would be able to maintain this level of healthy, whatever. You're not healthy. I, I don't feel if she was out. We don't know. Be- we heard we heard her for like 30 seconds in the yeah. podcast so, on tape so in a courtroom. Knows? But I guess my thing is this. It's not like because they're not pursuing these charges and because she's not competent that she's like out living her best life. She's like civilly committed and she's going to be there in this institutional setting. And that is where she's going to remain. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, indefinitely. So that's the thing. It's it's basically like she's in a prison, but she's in a prison that is geared towards dealing with and managing mental illness. Which but, we wish more people could be in if they do have mental illness. Right. But the tragedy is that, yes, that is where she is. It's not like she's out, but there's there's no resolution in terms of what happened to the kids. And that is the tragedy of the end of this story is that we're probably never going to know, it, which is really sad. But the other tragedy of this is mental illness. So there's like two really huge tragedies very different when you look at them, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, like who's being impacted and everything. But she's not going anywhere. She's she's in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Toby, I just I mean, there's something that also comes through to me. And like, and I don't think I'm alone. I'm the only first person who's ever thought this. But like, there's this sort of like a strata of like the worst crimes you can possibly commit. Right. And a woman killing her children just seems to be like the world's most unforgivable crime. Granted, it's fucking horrible. And I'm not saying it's not, but like she's very, very ill. 
And I, I feel like the podcast is asking us to take a leap. Kevin, I believe it's your note that, that said that we hear in the podcast, we hear them wishing them luck before the hearing. Yeah, they had a Zoom call yes. with Troy and his his wife and, and attorney. We hear, and we hear the reporters yeah, wishing like, them yeah. luck before the hearing, yeah. right? So there is just sort of implied thing that like the right resolution would be justice, right? And the only and the right justice would be you know, a criminal uh, prosecution and a criminal result for this woman who is going to be confined in some way anyway. You know, it just it, it strikes me that that is the tone of this podcast and that it is sort of the tone of, of, of stories around this that are very tragic anyway. I don't know. There's just something about that that like fundamentally worries me. And I feel like a missed opportunity in the podcast is that. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, not that there's anything wrong with a story being in a podcast, not that there's anything wrong with like the things that are in this podcast, but like that is something that also could have been here is like, how do we tell these stories? How don't we tell these stories? And we've heard that in other stories like this, where there's like, there's an angle here that we often get. And here's an angle that we often miss. And let's unpack that a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. There's some missed opportunities, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. There, there's some missed opportunities, I, I think. You know, it's hard because I do feel like thinking back on the last 20 minutes of conversation is Troy, who he's like a victim in this too. And I think the instinct to try and undercut him a little bit has more to do with the way the podcast is presented than anything Correct. to do with him. Because you kind of feel like, you know, again, it's somebody kills your kids. I, I can't imagine. And the need for something just must be overwhelming. And I and I think that's, you know, for Troy. And, and I get that this idea that she was mentally ill, therefore there's no responsibility. And that is being shown by the fact that she's going to stay in a mental hospital instead of going to prison, which is where she would go if we were sort of clear-eyed about her role in this, right? So I guess I wanted to say that, I, I, but I do think by taking that viewpoint so centrally and not showing, you don't even have to push back on it, but you just have to show alternatives. Like it is kind of lacking. There, there's no question about what the sort of viewpoint of the podcast is, and it doesn't really delve into the nuances on this thing. Cause it's unlike some other stuff that we've done where there's like, clearly like this guy's innocent and he's in jail and that's not good. Unless something really, really weird happened. She did kill her kids. And it's just a matter of how do we sort of assess her mental state and her ability to aid in her own representation. And what does that all mean? And that to me seems like it needs a little bit more of a nuanced treatment than here's this guy who went through this unimaginable tragedy and let's look at it through his eyes. And if that doesn't seem fair to him. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yes. And it doesn't seem fair to the listeners because you're either getting caught up in his sort of emotional, just profound pain, which is just absolutely the most understandable thing in the world, but it's not what our justice system runs on. So then the alternative is to like trying to be keeping that at arm's length. And that doesn't seem to be doing him justice either. So I, I don't know. It's flawed. I mean, I, I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to is that I, I don't think anybody's well served by it. I think there's some, some smart stuff in here and I think there's interesting stuff, but I don't think it's what it needed to be in order to 
to give like a real thoughtful, full picture of this, of a, of a very sort of nuanced subject. Yeah. I mean, I have a, still a, my, my big unanswered legal question is such that if they had gone to, if she had been found restored and could have aided in her defense and then they went to trial, could she then enter an insanity plea and argue, well, I was ill at the time when this happened and therefore, because this is, you know, this custodial hold is not something she didn't make an insanity plea. I don't even know if she's entered a plea yet, but it's very possible, right, that she could go to jail and then be convicted. And that sentence is you go to this or a different secure psychiatric unit or that you're innocent by reason of insanity or however they structure it in Maryland. And then you go right back to this hospital or you're still in the hospital. There's still a chance that you could get out and walk out of the hospital yeah. easier than out of prison. Um, yeah, how do you feel about the fact that you don't know that? Because the podcast never tells you that. Well, they did, <laughs> wait a they, they did talk a little bit about, like, it is an affirmative defense. So in order to take that, she would have to say, yes, I killed my kids. Right? And they did talk about that. I mean, I think you guys are like saying they didn't do all of this. And they did. But... It, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't, it didn't resonate with all it of you. Yeah, through, yeah, that's fine. So, I mean, what happened to the kids is, we, you know, it's very unusual that two small bodies could be placed somewhere and never recovered for 10 years. Is it unusual? Yeah, yeah, it's fairly unusual. Yeah. But, you know, the question just sort of remains, you know, about what happened. I get why grandma wants to believe that the grandchildren alive. live in some place. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I don't care for the, the very much like, well, I believe she got in touch with the right people. And, well, you know, I have my reasons. I can't really say. I mean, it's all very weak tea to me. And I'm glad that they'd kind of push back ever so gently on the ludicrous nature of, like, how that would work. Like, you would just give away. Again, because we had a similar. Because your daughter would not be prosecuted even if there were just a Polaroid of a kid somewhere. Yeah, just throw one out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, a- anyway, I, I thought that th- there were other legal questions here that were interesting. However, I'll say, point out. Before we move on, is that these are very short episodes, these seven that we've heard, eight. So there's not a lot of extra thrown in, but I feel like it gets what needs to be said, where I think you guys still feel like it's lacking. Hmm. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. At Audi, expectations matter. It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Unrestorable? It's a new podcast. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up for thumbs down for this podcast. Um, I'm going a mild thumbs down. What I didn't like about this podcast was 
what I felt like was sort of this tone for me that I, and this is just my, you know, interpretation, this tone that really rubbed me the wrong way. I felt like it was slanted against being maybe more aware of mental illness. And it had a very, to me, it felt very one-sided and I'm not trying to diminish like the pain of the tragedy that this family has gone through trying to find their two children, Jacob and Sarah. But I didn't like the approach that was taken with that. And I felt like if they were going to take that approach, I would have liked to have heard a little bit more on the flip side, you know, from somebody legally. And we did, but just more about the issue of restorability in other ways um, that we didn't hear about. So it's a mild thumbs down for me, probably a full thumbs down. I would say mild thumbs down. um, And that's where I come in. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for unrestorable? I guess I'm a thumb sideways on this. I mean, I think it's a really interesting topic uh, that they bring up, which is, you know, how does the justice system deal with questions of mental illness and competency to stand trial and stuff? But it's it's not really, I think, handled in a way that captures all the complications and nuances of the subject. It seems it's kind of coming from a, a certain point of view, which I don't really think does the case justice and, and, and even like the people whose point of view is being represented, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's not like horrible. Uh, I think some of the reporting is, is good. Um, and, and I do think it's the, the subject is fascinating. It just doesn't feel like they quite did what they needed to do with it in order to get a thumbs up from me at least. So thumb sideways. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. I, I guess I like this more than the rest of you. And I would say that I do hear your criticisms. I think the things you say that they didn't address, I think they did, but probably it's just not to your uh, natural satisfaction or it didn't resonate with you. But I will agree that it does feel a little one-sided. Uh, that's okay, I guess. Um, I, I kind of understand why. I thought the uh, the Root Talk episode was very well done. And it does open up a whole lot of other questions here about how we treat people with mental illness when they cross paths with the justice system. And as they point out, so many people who are incarcerated are there because of a mental illness or an issue with that and probably would be better served in a facility other than prison. To get that kind of treatment, to get those kind of medications and whatnot. But this particular case is fascinating because it has the twist of the ticking clock here on the charges. Is it too late to ever come back and charge them again? State doesn't think so. State doesn't think so. But uh, anyway, uh, I don't want to spoil it uh, at all. Uh, I'm going to remain a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm a thumb sideways on this, too. I mean, I think that it's a very interesting case. Some of the issues that were raised were very interesting. It's an extremely flawed podcast in terms of the way it was handled. Kevin, I know you say that some boxes were ticked in terms of things that were addressed, but if the three out of the four of us didn't hear it or didn't land with us, then that wasn't, that wasn't properly done or done well enough. I just think about stories and how we look at them differently today than we may have looked at them when they happened or then they were looked at when, you know, like I look at stories like Andrea Yates, I look at stories like Lorena Bobbitt, I look at stories like Nikki Adamondo from Believe Her, right? Mm-hmm. People who you know, on their face did something horrible. Uh, But like, who were they when they did something horrible? What was going on in their lives? It is something horrible. And granted, there are things that are on their face unforgivable. But 
are we going to throw these people away forever? Are we going to do X? Are we going to do Y? Are we going to do Z? And there are just certain questions that this podcast just chose not to tackle. That's why it's thumb sideways for me instead of thumbs up. So I'm just going to leave it there. And, you know, so it's a thumb sideways. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Uh, so I had a cat of the week lined up from one of our listeners. But Susie Salmon, I loved your costumes on your dogs. But today there was breaking news in the animal world. What? This is so exciting. The sheep named Fiona was rescued from a cliff in Scotland where she has been stuck for more than two years. Wait, Whoa, hit pause, Lara. So is this listener not going to get any recognition? We put oh, them in the no, newsletter or something? I'm two cats of the week this week. That's what's okay. actually happening here. Okay. I am like obsessed with this. So the world's loneliest sheep, Fiona, lonely no more, rescued from the base of a cliff in Scotland. She has lived there in a cave for two years after apparently falling down the hill. There was no way to rescue Fiona until recently. Five farmers rescued Fiona by climbing down the cliff and putting her in a canvas feed bag. Mm. And they had a little hole so that she could see out and pulling her back up. Two years. Two years. Jesus. There was actually a race to rescue Fiona. The animal rights people have been out visiting her, getting her used to people before lifting her off the cliff. But the group of farmers beat them to it and took her to a farm. Um, it's like open to the public. So I like kind of want to go to Scotland just to go see Fiona, but two years on a cliff. Wow. So what about those costume dogs? Susie Salmon, Moose, Petey, and Jackie in their recent Halloween costumes, only murders in the house of terriers. I love that for them. All I love that for them. Were rescue pops. Moose was adopted from a pit bull rescue when by one of her former students. Petey, scammed me into adopting him from a shelter pet adoption fair at the fancy mall in my town. And Jakey was a foster fail from a local rescue. So anyway, they have amazing pictures. Yeah, so it's a double cat of the week this week. But it's uh, the Steve Martin one actually, I think, looks really good. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. The Selena Gomez character actually has the beats on. That dog actually has beats on its head. Beats like Shrewd Farm? Like like beats like, like you know how she had the headphones on? The headphones, the beats headphones. So there you go. So yeah, so that's it. Double cat of the week this week in Crime Writers on Universe. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you, of course, they can always email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com and send their animals or put them in Facebook. But if they want to reach out to you on social media, Laura Bricker, how can people find you there to submit any kind of animal to be cat of the week? You can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. All right, tell you about what about you? How can you be found online? Uh, I just want to do a quick uh, animal notice in that our 15-year-old cat... Hunter, who my kids grew up with, finally passed away um, a couple days ago after a uh, battle with cancer. Um, Oh, Hunter. So So it's like kind of a down week at the Ball Walden household, but uh, he was not in pain. And uh, the last three weeks after we knew he was sick, uh, he got a lot of good hanging out with uh, the family and got treated like... The king that he always knew he was. So anyway, um, that's the deal. And you can find me at ToeyBallNH on Twitter. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. Well, you can join all of our listeners in our incredible Facebook discussion group. Please, please, please join us there. Just go to Facebook, find the link, 
for our group at the top of our regular page. We will let you in if you know any one of our names. You can follow us everywhere else, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else at Crime Writers On. And you can follow me everywhere at Reb Lavoy. Get episodes early and ad-free and all the other stuff we make at patreon.com slash partners in crime media for those of you who are willing to throw in a few extra bucks to support our work our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our audio editor is the incredible livy burdett the executive producer of this program is the man who gives no fucks the husband and love of my life kevin flynn this show was recorded in the treehouse yoga studio above the mockingbird cafe in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our hampshire basement where kevin has also accused me <laughs> of faking it yeah kevin i see what it's you your did own there. loss <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we'll catch yourself you. to blame we'll catch you later you can only work with what you got kevin <laughs> This is a grim one. I feel like that was a terrible transition. Let's do it anyway. Leading off. Dropping that clip like you're in line for uh, Big Thunder Mountain. <laughs> Dropping that clip like I'm in line for Avatar Flight of Passage. Just on this long straight hallway. Can you imagine shitting on that ride and that motorcycle thingy? Oh my God. All right. But in line and you're like still waiting there. It's you, not like it's not you, like you tossed it out the window. It's like you took a shit and you're still standing in line. you think just step over the piles of shit? All right. All right. Oh, okay. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.